You might not realize it, but life has a soundtrack. For most of us, it sounds a bit like... But you can always change the station. In hundreds of Delta Airlines destinations, you can turn your soundtrack into a global chorus. Delta. Keep climbing. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. In today's economy, more people than ever are looking to buy and sell businesses. But how do you do it? Welcome to The Deal Board, presented by Transworld Business Advisors. Straight talk about real deals and real people. Listen to stories, interviews, and expert advice to help your business sale, merger, or acquisition process. Now, here are your business exit experts, Andy and Jessica. Welcome back, everybody, to The Deal Board. And today, we are talking about a topic that we've kind of danced around, we've mentioned here or there, but we really wanted to do a deep dive or, or 101 into due diligence. So we're going to talk all about due diligence today. Andy, you also have a great interview for a guest and partner that does due diligence for buyers of businesses. Yeah, Elliot Holland, he has a company that just specializes in due diligence and uh, he, he's a great guy to talk to and he will go over what his company does. And we are looking forward to working with Elliot. And we, we could talk about that, like we could kind of jump right in because part of the issue of due diligence is just having the time to do it. And a lot of accountants usually don't have the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, so due diligence, let's just, you know, let's define it. So due diligence is basically how I explain it to clients. It's an inspection period for the business. You know, you go to buy a house or a property and you have an inspection period and it's very similar in a business, but a lot more complicated than just sending the inspector in and taking some pictures, right? Yeah. And most people think of a due diligence for a business is financial. And there's a lot more that kind of goes into it. But let's start there. Let's start talking about what people usually look for in a financial due diligence. And, you know, we as business brokers, uh, we don't do due diligence on every single business, but we do what we call an internal due diligence on it because we want to make sure what we're representing has a chance to sell. So we're kind of getting what the banks want. We want three years of tax returns. We're going to look at the P&Ls. And um, that's kind of where we stop, but that's not where due diligence stops. No, no, that's not where due diligence stops. And basically as a buyer, you're going to want to verify the seller's claims and the broker's claims too, right? So yes, you'll start with P&Ls and balance sheets and um, tax returns. But, you know, Elliot talks about source data too, right? So it could be looking at QuickBooks files or bank statements, things like that, like figuring out where that ties to. And, and that's really, it's just finding that trail of dollars to make sure it's a safe investment for you. Yeah. I mean, and what they're trying to do is you get the tax returns, right? And you want to verify the tax returns. And what I've seen a lot of people do is they go into a business and they say, all right, give us all the customer uh, orders. And whether that's online on a, on a POS system, or whether that's they actually have the printouts of the customer orders. They'll go to the bank statement. They'll see all the deposits. They'll pull the deposit slips or look at them online. 
and then they'll try to tie out all those customer orders to make sure that there's no extra money from the seller going in and that all the customer orders kind of tie out month by month. And when you're talking due diligence on a small business, usually, and, and in the big businesses, they call this quality or earnings, right? Mm -hmm. So this is like a small quality of earnings, Q of V as people call it. And they're going to go in there and they're going to try to verify. They're going to take two years of, of bank statements and they're going to try to verify a few months and see how it does. Yeah. And that's kind of the test. And actually what you had initially started talking about, Andy, is that sometimes you need a partner in this. And I think that's why Elliot coming on the show is so great because your CPA is not always going to have the time to do this or the resources, you know, we're still sitting in it's kind of like 2021 is just like one big extended tax season this year. Right. So, you know, your CPA might not have the time, they might not have the resources or they might not have the experience. Um, so really having the right help is important in running this process. Yeah, most CPAs can do a due diligence, but like you said, uh, try to get a CPA to do it in January or try to get them while they're doing 1099s or K-1s and try to get them to do it in March as it's leading up to April 15th or in October or September when they have those deadlines. It's very difficult to you know get there. If they're a, a, a CPA doing tax work, it's very hard to get them. But once you find someone that does due diligence and the, your business broker could be a great help and, and connect you with someone, again, they're going to look at the revenues and then they're going to also look at the expenses and make sure that there's no expenses uh, that are being realized by other companies or personally. And they're going to look at the expenses on the tax return and try to tie those out and try to, you know, discount any extra expenses that a business owner might put in. All right. So that's where, you know, some, some due diligence stops there, you know, or some buyers stop there is thinking about just like financial due diligence is the biggest aspect that we're looking at or inspecting. And it is the biggest aspect, but there's other aspects, right? So let's talk a little bit about legal too, for a minute. Yeah. So when you have a, a part of your due diligence should be a lien search. They should look to see if there's any pending liens or any liens, a tax liens, sales tax liens. Uh, there could be uh, pending litigation. There could be judgments. Uh, you're going to want an attorney to do a search, not only on on the business, but perhaps on the business owner. Yeah. And we, we've talked about on the show before, there's a, a couple different structures. You can structure a business sale and, and we advocate an asset sale to protect you from those legal responsibilities, but not all liens stop uh, through an asset sale. Some liens will still follow the business, even if it goes to a different entity. So again, just like, we talked about financial partners having the right legal partner that's familiar with transactional law and doing um, small business sales can really help you run that legal due diligence list. Yeah. And then there's other things that you have to worry about due diligence. There could be environmental issues. We both live in very environmentally uh, conscious states uh, where here in Florida, we have a lot of wetlands and we have a lot of uh, groundwater uh, contamination. You live in Colorado. Uh, there's there's issues there. There's issues all over the country. Yes, there is. Yeah. So you can look at environmental. Um, you also can look at you know the operations of the business, especially if you're looking at a business that has a lot of hard assets or equipment. How's everything working? We've seen that a lot in the construction industry with heavy equipment and equipment inspections, things like that. There's so many aspects to due diligence, but again, it really goes back to, let's just verify that the business that the buyer is buying, the seller is presenting is, is in line 
like we're seeing the same, um, the same presentation from the seller that we're finding as a buyer. Yeah, you're going to find things in due diligence that don't match up. And we always try to tell people, let's not treat incidents as catastrophes and let's not treat catastrophes as incidents, right? So if there's a catastrophe that happens, there's a huge tax lien, there's a, uh, we had an air conditioning company for sale and they found out that they're being sued because one of the drivers ran over someone. I mean, that's a problem, right? You know, that's something that the seller should have disclosed. And he's like, I didn't realize, I thought my insurance company would handle it. I'm like, well, you know, so there are plenty of things that, you know, you can deal with, but there's no perfect business out there. No, there's, and, and even like, and we talk about this a lot, like, you know, buying small businesses, buying mid-sized businesses, the multiples are not Wall Street multiples, and that's to account for the risk. But even if you looked at Wall Street businesses, no business is perfect. But I also look at those are the opportunities, right? You're getting this business for a smaller multiple than you would a Fortune 500 because there's opportunities for growth and you can use those to your advantage as a buyer. So if you're going through due diligence and something pops up, there's always a creative way to get the deal done still. But how do you flip your mindset from, oh, this is a problem to how can I make this an opportunity and beneficial for me in the future? Well, you have to be a positive person, right? And you have to look at, you have to solve problems. That's what being an entrepreneur is all about. And there are, you know, plenty of ways to solve problems. There might be marketing issues uh, where they didn't market properly. There might be HR issues where they, they were paying people off their books, but these are all opportunities to perhaps turn things around and make a business even better. And they might, they might have revenue issues or customer concentration issues. All those things can be handled in a deal. And, and our job you know, at, at Transworld is we're, we're trying to find those things out and present them in a you know, fair and unbalanced way and, and, and have full disclosure on those types of issues. And so when we go into due diligence, we're just verifying that's the level of those issues. Um, but you know, again, I always tell tell people like a business is not going to get an A on all of its all of its subjects on on its report card. Yeah, if it, if it was it's probably not for sale, right? Or you know, it's probably already taken in an under contract. So, one of the last questions we get from people a lot Andy is people will ask us, "Hey, can you give me a list of all the things I need to look in and for, to for dil due diligence?" And the answer is no. And and why is that? The answer is no, because we don't want to be responsible for forgetting something. And you really, there's, you could go to the internet, you could, you could look at due diligence lists. There are things that are appropriate. And, you know, if you come up with the due diligence, we just had a, a fortune 500 company buying a small deal because they, they want, I think a piece of technology in it. And it's, it's literally a fortune 500 company. They sent us a 30 page due diligence list. And it, you know, we're going to have to go through it and say, no, we don't have that. No, we don't have that. No, but that, that's what happens sometimes when people pull lists off the internet. But again, if you have some good team members, a lawyer, an accountant who does deals, they know what they're looking for. Yeah. And they can help you provide, like help you compile a list that's appropriate for the deal size, appropriate for the industry, and also appropriate for your risk tolerance. There's been plenty of deals that we've done with savvy buyers where there's just some things that they're like, we know 
we can fix no matter what's going on with marketing. We don't need to take a look at it, right? So it really comes down to the buyer as well. Yeah, we've seen that before. You know, we've seen people buy uh, other restaurants and they're during the pizza business and they're like, yeah, tell me how many boxes he go through. And that's all they want to know. You know, how much cheese does he go through? Or, you know, people buy a laundromat and says, just give me his water bill. Give me the water bill of the laundromat. Or, you know, the landscaping business, it's like, you know, I want, I, I just want his, I just want his route. Just tell me what's yeah. on his route and how much people are paying or, you know, the rent rolls when they're, when people are selling a, uh, you know, multi-unit things, that same sort of thing. Yeah. There's, there, and that's where it goes back to, there's appropriate lists for businesses, industries, and buyers, and, and really the right partners can help you do that. So that being said, uh, we do have an interview with Elliot who does due diligence and helps buyers and sellers um, get prepared for due diligence and evaluate those. It's a great interview, has some really good insights on what can make your due diligence process successful or not successful. Yeah. And, and you want to pick the right partner that's appropriate. Uh, you know, some of these huge accounting firms are not equipped to do small businesses. They just can't, you know, the, you'll get basically overbilled, uh, you know, because they can't do it. They can't take on a client like that. So Elliot has a great program for small businesses and uh, hopefully he'll be doing it for a long time around the country. Yeah. So let's jump into the interview. As always, we've got a great listing of the week and deal of the week, and we hope you enjoy. Let's do it. Transworld Business Advisors is the world's largest business brokerage and mergers and acquisitions firm with over 500 brokers in nearly 200 offices worldwide. Transworld's team handles thousands of business sales every year. To be connected with a qualified business broker or learn more about the buying and selling process, visit tworld.com forward slash the deal board or call 888-719-9098. Everybody, welcome back to The Deal Board. And we have a very special guest. We have Elliot Holland from Guardian Due Diligence. And while due diligence may be a boring subject to some, it's certainly not to me, certainly not to Elliot. We were talking just before the interview about exactly. how some people think it's boring. It's not boring, right, it's not Elliot? Boring. No, not, no, not at all. Particularly when you're putting a million dollars or more up, it's not boring. It's critical. Yeah. And I say it all the time. Listen, we want to do good deals for good people. We want to make sure that buyers are protected. We certainly want to know that if there's anything bad in a deal before a buyer gets into it. And, and, you know, I would like to say that most sellers are honest, but you know, sometimes, sometimes the sellers don't even know what's going on, but we see a lot of people make a lot of mistakes. So one of the things I always kind of like to go over, Elliot, is what what mistakes do you see people make in due diligence? So there's there's a lot of mistakes. I'm going to go through sort of a, a top five. I think top five, I'm going to run through them and then I'll explain what I mean. First one is, is primary data. Uh, second one is pushing the seller too hard. Third is being lazy. Fourth is rosy glasses. Fifth is 11.59. So what do I mean by primary data? To Andy's point, there are times when the seller doesn't, isn't financial. A lot of the sellers in the market are high school graduates, uh, college sports players um, that went out, started selling something, started a business, you know, 25 years later, it's something you want to buy. And you ask them about adjusted EBITDA or working capital, and you're talking to the wrong person about it. 
the way to do diligence is to be nice to the seller and to go to primary data. Um, brokerage firms, everybody will put together nice, shiny documents. I'm not saying they're not great. What I'm saying is what you should go to is the primary data. The, the marketing material is meant to show you what the company is, and then you verify it in the QuickBooks data, in the bank statement data, in the tax data. So primary data, I think people miss that uh, sometimes. Second Great one point. is pushing Great the point. seller before you earn trust. So, and I was talking to Andy about this and not many people think of it this way, but the seller is the central point of this whole transaction. Now you might say, no, I'm the buyer. I'm the one that's the most important. I'm bringing the money. Yeah, but at the end of the day, the seller has the choice to look at your money and still turn it down. And so when you're in the beginning of these processes, a lot of buyers have a lot of hubris and they'll push that hubris onto the broker and or the seller before they've built any trust. And the issue is not that you don't deserve to get the data as the buyer. The issue is you've now upset someone who's running a free enterprise that doesn't need you necessarily, right? Before you earn any trust and the way that you're asking for the data actually gets in the way of you getting the data. And Andy's laughing because he sees this all the time. And so yeah. do I on my side. Sometimes calm down, get the LOI signed, give him a week or two, you'll probably get the data. So pushing the seller prematurely, I think, is the number two mistake people make. Great. Being lazy, I think, is the third. And lazy shows up in many ways. Diligence is not just looking at financials. Diligence is not just a company visit. Diligence is, do customers like this business? Do I think the market's going to continue? Um, do I talk to people in the town that the business is in to kind of see what's going on? Have I done my background checks? And, and when you're lazy, and lazy sometimes feels like, well, I just, I trust the guy. I, I like this business. I think he's a good, you know, model citizen, church-going person. And it lulls you into this, I want to make a great investment. This feels good. Let me do it. And you end up being lazy on, on sort of the work you need to do, which is very important to get good deals done. And actually, the work actually helps, in my opinion, you connect with the seller because the seller is assessing how much energy you're putting into it because he knows how complicated his business is or she knows how complicated her business is. Fourth, and I'll get through these a little bit quicker. Rosy glasses. Nice. Okay, perfect. perfect. Rosy glasses is just, everybody knows what it is. You see the deal and you fall in love and everything is, no, 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 no. That's just one time. And no, no, the downward trend, it can be corrected. And no, that person doesn't work in the business. And everything you see or hear that's negative, you just toss it away because you want to get the deal done. And by the time it's it's time to cut that big check or sort of put your, your house in like your whole financial sanctity up um, on that bet, sometimes you haven't done the work because you've been so like rosy glass and, and, and that can screw up deals too. And I think that's the fourth mistake people make. I think the fifth, I called it 1159, which is my way of saying last freaking minute. And so um, everybody wants to push their diligence costs until like 1159 which I understand I was a business buyer long before I was an advisor helping people assess businesses. But when you push, like for instance, if you push me to the last second before you want to cut on a quality of earnings or a cash proof, and for some reason my accountants are tied up or for some reason the seller can't get the data in the way that you want, 
or for some reason uh, a, a, a pipe breaks at the company and they can't get you data, what you've done is you've kind of pushed everything to the end when there's already a lot of pressure in the process. And now you're trying to pull in advisors that are making sure your million dollar investment is safe. And you're telling them to rush, to, to cut corners to get through the process because you wanted to save money that you were going to end up spending anyway. So I think the fifth mistake people make is waiting too late to engage good advisors that need the time they need to do the work. That all that advice is so perfect. Uh, we see it all the time in deals. So I, I kind of ran right into our subject and didn't even get a chance to kind of ask you what you do. And, and maybe you, you mentioned a couple of things that I think would help. Uh, when people are doing due diligence, there's obviously different levels of due diligence. So tell us what you do. And then sure. maybe you can explain what people, what the difference is between a quality of earnings, you mentioned that term, and perhaps maybe smaller due diligences, which we see a lot. Sure. So um, Elliot Holland, I run Guardian Due Diligence. We provide a full suite of services to help people buy companies. So from sourcing deals to helping sort of point the lawyer in the right direction to all of the financial assessments to helping with financial models, everything we do. 80% of our work is in financial due diligence. So um, making sure the numbers that are presented from a business are actually accurate. Um, and that means analyzing the financials, bank statements, taxes, with an eye for sort of forensic accounting and sort of making sure what's stated is true. One of the main tools that we use is a quality of earnings. And it's this wonky name thing um, that does a very simple like job, right? It, it should really be called a trailing 12 month EBITDA <laughs> instead of a quality of earnings because that's, that's what it delivers. So it goes through all this disparate data, all the financials, the contracts, um, bank statements, balance sheets, cash flow, inventory, asset lists, transaction history, per customer sales. Um, it goes through all these things to look at what is the trailing 12 month EBITDA? What is the cash that the business has produced in the 12 months before you're buying it? Um, so what a quality of earnings looks like when you read it, it's an analysis of the deal at the beginning, a look at the income statement, the balance sheet, the cash flow statement, a look at trailing 12-month EBITDA, which EBITDA is just a proxy for cash flow, call it the cash the business has created, and then typically a look at working capital and per customer sales. So I think of it as like almost an audit of a private business in, in its closest proximity, but it gives you trailing 12-month EBITDA. Now, what is sort of a lighter version of that, which is what Andy asked? Because some people, that's a, little, that's a little much or the deal is smaller and they're considering other things. Smaller diligence to me typically entails either like a cash proof, which is a reconciliation of bank statements to the financials. And I tell the story all the time. A lot of things in this deal business can be manipulated, but you can't walk into Chase Bank, give them a hundred bucks, but say, hey, tell Andy that was 200 bucks. So when you go to the bank statements and you look at them and you recreate the financials out of them, you have a very, a very high level of comfort that the bank didn't tell a story. So you, you've eliminated a lot of the mess. And then for people who are specific about the business or the industry, a lot of times, Andy, I get, hey, look, my, my wife runs a business just like this. So I know all the metrics. I want you to take a look at a cash proof, reconcile the stuff. 
and then take a look at working capital um, and uh, fixed assets because there's a lot of them. Make sure that this stuff is real. And so people sort of a la carte pick what they need when they do like diligence. But I would encourage everybody to do a cash proof because of how important it is in understanding if the cash the business says it generated, it actually generated, and then put the other pieces around it that makes sense. It's, it's great advice. So how long does something like that take? I know that it could it could vary as long as it takes for the seller to give you the information. <laughs> but I mean, how long do you usually need to do like a, you know, a due diligence, uh, maybe a quality of earnings on, and we, we're dealing mostly with businesses, you know, from half a million to $5 million. Yeah. And so Andy, just to let you know, that's 90% of my business too. So we're, we're in the same, um, same fishing pond. So a, a cash proof and you nailed it. So from when we get the data <laughs> and, and really when you get it in electronic format, cause we get these PDFs that are slanted <laughs> and that doesn't help all that much. Andy's laughing because you know. <laughs> I think that's. <laughs> so once you get that, it's about two weeks or so to do a cash proof. Um, again, reconciling bank statements to financials. It sounds really simple, but when you look at a $3 million business and every single entry on their bank statements and understanding which expense line or revenue line transfers, it, it's not easy. And it comes out looking like, two income statements on the same sheet of paper. One is from the financials and one is from the bank statements. If you're looking for a quality of earnings, that's about a four week process from when we get the data. Um, but again, the processes aren't like binary, like you start, nothing happens and you finish. So right. like for me, I was a business buyer before I was an advisor. And so there's certain pieces of my business that are very specific. So Andy, I have fixed price because that it varies stuff used to upset me so much when I was buying, like I'm talking to an accountant who can't give me a number or a number of days or a cost. Yeah. That just blew my mind. So we do fixed price um, projects. So you know what you're getting into. We also do an executive summary review in the first week, which kind of kicks out 85% of deal breakers. And what that does is, and you can appreciate this, Andy, if the process takes four weeks, right? But in the first week, you get pretty strong confidence that the deal breakers are off the table. Now seller, broker, buyer, advisors are really just tweaking what the EBITDA number is to put a multiple on on the working capital. You're not really dealing with, is the deal good or bad? And those are specific things to my business that we bring to the table to make this process better for all people. It sounds like you've really done a great job of kind of coalescing what's important into the first week, kind of those deal breakers, which is great. I mean, everybody in our business, we just want, you know, we do want fast no's. Uh, we don't want long yeses, long right. no's. Uh, you know, right. we want, we, I, we, if, if we're getting to the point of due diligence, you know, we're hoping that the seller was honest or, and gave us enough information. So it's just going to prove out during due diligence. We all know that could change based on, all kinds of things that could come up, but that's what your business does well. And uh, it's truly valued. And I think it's important to point out, uh, you mentioned one other thing that uh, people's accountants can get busy at times. Like right now, we happen to be in the middle of tax season. And right. if you don't have someone that does due diligence often, it, especially CPS, they think they do due diligence, but they don't. They don't. I 
and I know you would agree with this 100%, or I'd, I'd take you out for a steak dinner. It's so much more efficient for the whole process if you get somebody who specializes in transaction due diligence, both from a legal side and from an accounting side, because the risk as perceived by a person that does taxes when they're doing diligence is going to be magnified tenfold. And it's not just you're going to spend more with that accountant, but they're going to be less sure. And that less surety, again, puts a lot of uncertainty in the transaction. And again, we're pushing up against who's the main person, the seller, who's also on the other side evaluating, are you going to try to work me on the numbers? Or are you going to bring the cash to the table? So having a, a, a transaction accountant that you know can do good work, that's ready, it's, it's, it's integral because I've seen accountants screw up deals. Yeah, I'm sure you've I, seen it too. Yeah, we've seen it too. I mean, listen, wh what I like about you, you is you're a deal maker. We, we love deal makers, not deal breakers. And even though that you're one of the hardest things in the transaction to make sure, you know, the financial representations are real. And when they're not, you know, we have to go back to both the buyer and the seller and say, hey, we found the problem here. But, you know, it could still be an opportunity that everybody likes. It just may be valued different. I just wanted to say that. And that's the other thing when you have reasonable parties. So I talked to Andy about this before. I've been in this 10 years. Andy's probably got a couple years on me, but I have a database of, you know, 1800 business brokers. And the ones that are reasonable, let's say EBITDA is down 15%. You can have a reasonable conversation and that business still being worth a price, a price that the buyer is willing to pay, a price that the seller is willing to let their business go for in a trust-based transaction. So like, it's not, it's, not, it's not catastrophic if the EBITDA comes in a little light or even a little heavy when you have reasonable parties. And I think, look, everybody in the transaction world can sometimes get a bad rap, but I think when, when everything works right, we are facilitating good transactions. Good deals for good people, we always say. And it sounds, and I just want to give you another a chance to talk about your business a little bit. You work nationwide? Nationwide, um, like I said, most of my deals are between $400,000 of EBITDA or SDE and two or three million. Um, we work really hard. So, Guardian is the manifestation of the service business I wish I had when I was buying companies. And I've spent six years as an independent sponsor. And so some of the things that I put in this business and then Andy was smiling are mitigants to huge pain in the butts that occur in these processes that come from sort of muscle memory of being in them. I think the other thing for people who are listening, because I'm a deal guy that's now managing accountants, it's not just a report that tells you EBITDA. We're helping people talk through negotiations, through price adjustments, through structure adjustments. So for people who are considering making an acquisition, maybe for the first time or in a new industry, we're going to be more helpful to facilitate your comfort through this process than just a pure accountant would be. And so I think we provide a great solution for how, do, how does somebody get a great Transworld deal done? Right. And you've done deals with us before. That's right. That's right. I have plenty of you guys in my database and uh, they're all in the, the good, happy place. I've had a good experience through my, through my, through my time doing deals. Great. Elliot, great. If somebody wants to learn more about you, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Come to my website, guardiandudiligence.com, um, D-U-E for due diligence, or you can find me on LinkedIn, very easy, Elliot Holland, that's E-L-L, -L, 
I-O-T-T, Holland like the country. Um, very responsive. And in fact, if you go to my website, I have a weekly office hours from 12 to 1 Eastern on Fridays. We can pop in and ask some questions, talk about your deal, talk strategy, um, open forum. So we have some fun and I'd love to see you guys uh, come check it out. Elliot, looking forward to closing more deals with you. Thank you so much for coming on today. Absolutely, Andy. Thank you for having me. Hey, Andy, do you know what time it is? It's time for our deal of the week. Deal of the week. Sold. Hey, we're back and it's deal of the week. And we have JT Tatum from Trans World Business Advisors of... Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah, I wanted to throw that one. Thank in you. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so deal of the week. Deal of the week. So we have a um, a medical massage therapy business. So not like a franchise, you know, Hand in Stone or or um, what's the other one? Massage, massage Envy. Envy yeah. These guys specialize. If you had orthopedic surgery, had your knee replaced, a hip replacement, you got a scar that needs to be worked out after you do the PT. They they remove that scar, and uh, they use some some uh, very specific. Uh, instruments or uh, uh, machinery that was invented by the seller's former wife. Wow. Okay, it's very, very good. And he's had the business 20 years, and uh, he's set his sights on going down to the coast of the Carolinas and fishing. So he brought the business to market. Uh, His SDE was about $130,000 a year, and uh, the business went to market for two sixty. dollars and wound up at 251. Wow. Yeah, so it's uh, really good. The buyer came in, had previously worked in a Hand and Stone franchise, so had a little therapy experience, but she is a marketing dynamo where the seller was not really on a technology side of things, didn't know how to market, didn't really need to. She's already come in and, and taken over uh, during the transition, started with local networking. They got in through a, to a local hospital. Uh, they're doing some stuff through the VA, and it is she is take, she's going to take that thing and double what they've been doing before they sold it, yeah. Sounds like a good deal. Well, how did the buyer finance the transaction, or what was the deal structure? So we did an SBA, okay. and uh, that was, that, that was uh, you know, 10% down, no seller hold in this particular case. Uh, so it went very, very smoothly. Uh, we worked uh, with uh, Main Street Funding, Kenny Prosky and his team, and uh, we were able to pull the whole thing off during COVID, of course. You know, that's probably one of those, geez. The best part for him was he was deemed a medically essential or medically necessary business, so he was able to remain open during COVID, and that really helped uh, keep the revenue steady for him. Excellent. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, great deal. Good job, great deal, JT. good people. Yeah, so, you know, like you say, Andy, right? Great yeah. deals for great people. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We are talking commercial real estate today, and we have an expert, our expert here at Transworld Business Advisors of South Florida, talking about the commercial real estate business. Alan, you've been in the commercial real estate space just for a little while. Just for a few years. How many years? Uh, 23 years as, in a, as a broker and 10 years prior to that as, in a, as a real estate attorney. Right. And Alan, we really needed Alan's expertise because we're seeing more and more commercial real estate come up for sale. It's an interesting market. We're post-pandemic now and it's coming out and we're seeing some interesting things out there, right? Very interesting. And the first thing is that this really gives us our commercial uh, advantage, our, our business advantage at Transworld, because we can value real estate and value businesses as well. Yeah. A lot of businesses have the real estate attached. They actually own their real estate. We're seeing more and more baby boomers wanting to sell and you know get rid of the commercial real estate. And really, it's a trick. We have a few projects going on right now where you know to get the full value of the business, 
uh, and property, you have to sell them as a package. You have to sell them as a package, and quite often the business has appreciated, but the real estate has appreciated at a faster rate than the business, so it actually has much more value than the business today. And now we're able to capture that business and help our clients realize value in both sectors rather than them going outside to a strictly commercial broker for the commercial aspect. Yeah, and it's a good time to to get financing for all the, these kind of projects right now. It's a tremendous time to get financing. They say that in 2022, in order to slow the economy down, the Fed may increase rates, but currently rates remain low. The climate is terrific. There's a lot of cash looking for deals. In terms of the market, multifamily remains unbelievably uh, hot. It was just the highest paid price in, in South Florida, paid recently for, a, for a, a large commercial complex. Retail has come back, local retail has come back much faster than any would have, one would have expected, as you see by the sale of all of these restaurants. Uh, I spoke with a landlord yesterday, we just leased a space for him. He is now 100% occupied after being at 70% occupancy for the two years prior to the pandemic. Prior, so to, thing, the pandemic. prior so, to the pandemic. So things are actually hotter coming out of the pandemic. In the local strip center mom and pop retail. In the big box retail, that's where you have vacancy. Industrial is on fire, all size industrial, small industrial, local industrial, large institutional industrial because so many companies are moving down to South Florida. The sector that is lagging most is office. Right. And what we found that's interesting is the high end office because so many people are moving down there are family offices that are coming to the high-end offices okay. for the penthouses. And the local office, the smaller strip, the smaller office spaces are leasing very, very quickly because people are consolidating and going down in square footage. Okay. And any small suburban office is doing well because then you can control your own environment. Who comes in, what the policies are, how things are mandated. What's hurting is everything in the middle. Law firms that, for instance, wanted 30 and 40,000 square feet previously, I'm talking to a law firm, prior to the pandemic, they wanted 30,000 square feet. Now they're talking about 9,000 square feet. Yeah, a lot of people thinking about working from home or actually having some sort of flex space. They've gotten used to working from home because they don't have to get dressed, they don't have to commute, all of those things. But some people, it's like a pendulum. Some people will come back and want to, want to work, no question. Yeah, and we'll see some other uses for that office space, don't you think? There will be other uses. The large office space could be charter schools. It could be medical, some medical field. That's where things are transitioning now. But it's going to take a while till the traditional office is as hot as it was prior to the pandemic. Yeah. And and what about the big box? You mentioned earlier that the big boxes were becoming vacant or you know they're looking for other uses for that as well. Amazon is taking things over, so they're looking for uh, other uses, which could be schools, could be charter schools, could be uh, anything related to medical office. Um, any alternate use that they can find, they are, they are looking for in the big I, boxes. I heard cannabis growing at one point. Not quite yet, huh? <laughs> Please don't refer to my relatives like that. Uh Okay. <laughs> no, that, that is, I mean, that's, that's what's happening. There's no question. Um, that's coming across. I, I don't know how the lobby has been strong enough to do it since it's such a multi-billion dollar industry, but absolutely. We have people looking for industrial buildings for spaces like that all the time. So if somebody wanted to sell their commercial real estate uh, and their business, I mean, it's a pretty good time. 
it's a great time because of all of the factors that are going on. Tremendous demand, people moving down, uh, low interest rates, shortage of product. It's a phenomenal time to sell a business. Don't hesitate. Great time to sell real estate. Don't wait. Don't think it's going to get much, much better down the road because it may not. Um, now is the time for you to act. Yeah. Alan, if they wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Email is A-K-A-Y-E at, uh, at T-World, which is probably T-World.com, which is probably the best way. Um, be glad to answer any questions, help with anything. And you're here for some of the agents as well across the country that want to ask you about commercial real estate. Absolutely. We're already working on projects in St. Augustine, in Tampa, in Orlando, uh, in several of the markets throughout uh, the United States, as well as, of course, South Florida. Excellent. Thanks, Alan. Thanks Thank for coming you, in. Andy. Hey, Jessica, you know what time it is? Money time? Almost. It's time for Listing of the Week. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It is Listing of the Week, and we have a returning guest in Chip, Chris Redman from Trans World Business Advisors of Central Florida. He has a great listing, and we are seeing here in Orlando and old Florida, uh, the construction industry just boom. And so he has a great listing that he wants to tell you about today. Chris, Chip, welcome. Yeah, you know, no joke, but it, things are heating up. And boy, that construction segment is crazy. I have an HVAC uh, company in Northeast Orlando that has been just killing it year over year. Um, he's been around for 11 years. He's a uh, retired Marine. He's run it like a, like a military operation. And he's really treated people right. And, and they've, they've, they've appreciated what he's done and they've treated him right in return. That's great. It sounds like a, a nice deal. HVAC uh, is very hot, no pun intended. Uh, we see a lot of people wanting to roll up that industry because it's growing. It's going to continue to grow as people move to Florida and we build houses. They need those. They you need AC down here in South Florida for sure. So uh, South Florida, Central Florida, all of Florida, you need AC. So give us an idea what the numbers are like. Yeah, so he's done extremely well. Um, his 2020 numbers on his P&L were 2.5 million. Um, you know, as far as doing all our ad backs, owner benefit came out to 589,000 in 2020. And 2019 wasn't far behind. He did 2.2 uh, in gross sales in 2019. So he's really had some awesome growth year over year. Um, you know, the review side of things, Guy's got 80 Google reviews. Now, Google's not the only place to review, but he's got 4.8 stars out wow. of 80 reviews on Google. He's he really treating people right, and it's coming back and, and benefiting for his business. Sounds like a great deal. And so uh, anything else that you want to just go over? Yeah, just kind of throw out some generalities about it. It is 11-year-old uh, AC company. Um, he's got seven techs and one helper. So he's got, you know, seven vans and one box truck out rolling on the road. Um, it's been a great, great little business. He's got a split of 90% residential and 10% commercial. Great. He's really focused on that, you know, residential um, segment. Great. It's, it, that's good. How much is he asking? He is asking uh, 1.55 million. There you go. Sounds like a good multiple, about a three-time multiple. That's what we're seeing out there in the construction industry, especially deals that are making that much money. 
Uh, that's a solid business. Uh, Chip, what's the best way to get in touch with you if somebody wants to learn more? Uh, the best is my cell phone at 321-299-6867. And email is chrisredmond at tworld.com. Great. Thanks for coming on today. Good listing. Come and get it. Thanks, Andy. I appreciate you having me on. Everybody, welcome back. And we are with Darren Mize from GCF Valuations. And he's been a longtime partner with Transworld. We've known each other way too long. 20, but, 24 years, I think. Yeah, that's about right. So, uh, so give us a little idea of what GCF does so we can... And then we'll jump into the subject. Perfect. Well, the, the beauty of what we do is that we're in what I call the GCF triangle. We are at a conference today that serves both business owners, business brokers, and SBA lenders. And they're all represented here. And it's a perfect place to be for the weekend and for Monday. Uh, as for what GCF does, we are business valuation providers. We serve those same markets. So we serve business brokers. We've been serving Transworld now for over 20 years. Yep. We serve SBA lenders, and we also work with business owners from time to time as well. So that is what we do, and that's all we do. So our number one podcast talks about valuation, it, and people love talking about valuation for businesses. And post-pandemic, right, we had 2019, normal year, 2020, really abnormal year, and then now we're in 2021, hopefully recovering if someone was buying a business right now, how are we valuing that? Well, at least from our standpoint and for the last year, we've been searching for the rebound. So the rebound is what we're looking for to make sure that we can put 2020 behind us. So from a valuation standpoint, what we're trying to do is establish where that rebound is, where the trends are moving forward. And if we can grab onto some positive trends since last year, moving into 2021, we are now looking forward. So we're using discounted cash flow right now as the basis of valuing businesses. And as long as we've got some upward moving trends financially, uh, we're able to grab onto that. And that's kind of what we're doing right now. And I don't think that's going to change anytime, at least for the near, I'd say, year or so. But we're starting to see the, the true positive um, trends moving right now. A lot of the businesses have pulled away from it. And fortunately for us and most of the work that we're doing, we're putting 2020 behind us. That's great. It's great news. And uh, yes, I mean, people are really focused in on exactly what the current financials are. It's really important. Obviously, you're doing a discounted cash flow method for everybody out there that's basically looking into the future, kind of using the past as uh, you're looking for that trend into yep, the future. And exactly. you're going to use a discounted cash flow to decide how much that business is worth today. Exactly. We're looking at the last year's trends on a month-to-month -month basis. We're comparing those to 2019. We're comparing those also on a month-to-month -month basis for 2021. If those trends are moving in the right direction, we essentially are creating a projection for the forward-looking 12 months, and the valuation is going to be based pretty much on that. Excellent. Darren, thank you so much. If somebody wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way to get in touch with you guys? Email dmize at gvalue.com. I'm always available. Excellent. Thank you, Darren. Thank you for your partnership. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Andy. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the show today. If you like the podcast, share it with your friends on social media. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app. If you have questions, would like to appear, or have suggestions for topics for the show, get in contact with us through our website, thedealboardpodcast.com. Life's soundtrack can feel a bit like, but you can still change the station. With Delta Airlines, you can turn your soundtrack into a global chorus. 
Delta. Keep climbing. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.